0: C-level podcast
1: with your hosts
0: Stan Drayev and Nick Bracha.
1: Welcome to the MMA Geek Sea Level Podcast. Stan Drayev, Nick Brachia, on the mics to give you guys a preview of this weekend's UFC on ESPN. We're going to talk about last week's UFC 250, where Amanda Nunes defended her featherweight championship. And, and this is going to be interesting, we're going to discuss a little bit of MMA hot topics. And I think the hot topic recently has been a little bit of a revolt that some of the top UFC fighters, some of the bigger names are taking against the UFC, against Dana White in their negotiations. We're going to open up the hood and and dive into what's behind all of this, Uh, get into some of the UFC's strong arm tactics, the way that their contracts are laid out. We've done some research for this. So this ought to be interesting. Nick, I'm excited to be here with you, buddy.
0: I gotta say, your voice sounds a little bit different this week, Stan. You sound—I guess you sound like more like a, a challenger, and Do less, I? Like a, <laughs> less like a less like a less like a champion. Because again, for the second time in four weeks—and what really should have been the third time in four weeks—you were defeated by my analysis and picking prowess. And I just wanted to offer you this opportunity. Um, Since picking doesn't seem to be your sweet spot, your foray. (laughs) Where if there's like things in your life where you need help with picks, for example, if you and your lovely wife are making some dinner and you're not sure what song to play, text me. I'll make the pick for you.
1: I just feel like Marvin Gaye is not really our thing.
0: If you're looking, we could talk about that later. I've got some, I got some ideas. If uh, you're not sure what to have for lunch, call me. I'll make the pick for you. I just, I've really lost faith in in your ability to choose things, Stan.
1: Have you really? That that hurts a little bit. Nick, I, I will give you props. Our standing as of this moment is nine wins for me, three wins for you, one draw. You really did prioritize your picks very well. I am impressed by it. You picked the right fights at the right times. And what's funny is that we disagreed on two fights, and I was right about both of those fights that we disagreed on. So my overall record ended up being eight and four, yours six and six, but you picked the right fights in our game. You uh you kicked ass man. I'm proud of you, buddy.
0: Well wait a minute. What fights what fights did we disagree on that you were right about? We disagreed on the the Corey
1: sanhagen Algermaine Sterling fight.
0: I mean, yeah, but that was a real. I did not have a strong point of view on that.
1: that oh well, n- not having a strong point of view just just makes you not wrong at all. That's fair. Uh, and then we disagreed on. Oh, uh, Formiga, Alex Perez, Nick.
0: I got that one right as well. Yeah, you picked Chase Hooper, though. How'd that go for you? It
1: didn't go well, but you did agree with me.
0: <laughs> uh, some of the ones. Uh, here's the thing, then if you're gonna if you're gonna start counting this as an insurance policy for when you oh, lose. Oh, it's not an
1: insurance policy. You won. Nick, you won in the electoral college, even though I got the popular vote. Fairs, well, fair
0: Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Fo- I don't focus so much on the on the popular vote. I know you shouldn't. I go, I go deep on specific fights. So when I'm agreeing or disagreeing with you, it's not, it's not passionate. It's kind of like it's going with the flow, man. Um, but maybe I'll go with the flow less, and I'll and I'll challenge you a little bit more, so that you can lose two ways. I like it, Nick. Nick,
1: I've only got three times as many wins as you do this season, so I look forward to you racking up. Always the past. Always the past (laughs) with you. I do look forward to you racking up more victories. Seriously speaking, I would love for this to be more competitive. When you've got a sparring partner that's constantly you know, falling onto his back and waking up with the lights in his face, it's just less exciting to go back to the gym. And so it's exciting to have a, an opponent that can actually score with a big shot once
0: in a while. So I'm proud of you. you can be You can be patronizing, but the fact is that your confidence <laughs> is shaken, and the next time that you pull into a parking lot, you're not going to be able to pick a space without calling me first.
1: I think there's a good chance that that is the case, Nick. But in the meantime, we do have a lot to get into. Seriously speaking, congratulations. You prioritized better than I did on this last event, and that really is what counts.
0: Well, yeah, I'm a better human, but go ahead.
1: But my mother thinks I'm
0: nice. I don't know. I talked to her for a while last night, and that wasn't wasn't so clearly the case.
1: Wait, I call I called her three times, and <laughs> she didn't pick up on me. She was talking to you?
0: Let's uh let's go to uh, UFC 250 and see uh, what we did and what we didn't. Let's let's get off of your mom.
1: Okay, but can I get your mom's phone number? It's only fair.
0: Later, you gotta you gotta give me something for that.
1: What you? All right, we'll talk about it later. Uh, UFC 250: Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer in the main event. It wasn't the main event that we were all excited to see per se. Right, this card was stacked under the main event. Amanda Nunes dominated felicia spencer she should have i think this does nothing to her goat status i think she's still the greatest female fighter of all time arguably the greatest fighter of all time period and i think the felicia spencer win did nothing for that felicia Spencer is a tough girl she hung in there she you know didn't truly stop trying but it did seem like all hope was lost by i would say the late second round of that fight it just was clear that amanda Nunes. Going to be able to do about whatever she wanted except finishing. Felicia Spencer's a mentally tough girl. She's durable as hell. And she toughed it through like she did against Cyborg.
0: Questionable booking in a weight class that only exists because of a fighter that's no longer with the promotion. Yep. Um, a, a, a talented grappler and, and fighter who would maybe in the other women's divisions be in the top eight. And for me it was like watching a pit bull play with a small child. It was not it was not the fight wasn't much fun to watch. Uh no. it was not com- it was not competitive. Nunes had fun for twenty five minutes, but she absolutely did what, what she wanted to. She beat her everywhere. There was no chance. And I I get it. And Spencer didn't seem to be out of sorts at the end of the fight, but corners have got to start calling stuff like after three rounds there's no there's no path to victory it's not like she's got you know, a, a dan henderson right hand that uh that nunez could could walk into um nothing was going to happen and we did not this fight did not need to be five rounds
1: well i hear the argument for other fights in in recent past being stopped before the final bell i don't necessarily think that's a necessity in this matchup felicia spencer wasn't stumbling she wasn't taking shots and reacting to them in a certain way, she didn't really stop trying for the most part. So I don't think this is a fight that should have been stopped before that fifth round. I do hear what you're saying, but time and again, we've seen in MMA and in kickboxing and Muay Thai on the rare occasion of boxing where one fighter's getting their ass whooped for almost the entirety of the fight only to pull out a last-second victory. It's possible. It's happened before.
0: Yeah, I guess so, and I just want to uh clarify my statement i don't think that it anything happened where the ref should have stopped in i think that you know spencer's corner maybe they didn't want to take the opportunity away from her but it's just there's it does not take a keen mmai to see that there i just don't believe there was i know those sorts of things have happened but not not with the skill set the energy left and the opposition I do not believe, short of Nunez, Nunez tripping um, or getting like her toe caught in the cage or whatever happened to John Jones versus Chael Sonnen, which almost resulted in a fluke victory, there was no way that Spencer was going to win unless Nunez hurt herself.
1: I mean, keep in mind, just several fights ago with that 135-pound women's division, Misha Tate, who was getting her ass whooped by Holly Holm, ended up turning out a, I think it was, fourth or fifth round submission out of nowhere.
0: It is possible. Misha Tate was a superior grappler. To Holly Holm by far. I'm not convinced that Felicia Spencer is a superior grappler to Amanda Nunez based on what I saw in that fight.
1: No, I, I don't think she's an overall better grappler, but I do think if she were on top and uh, wasn't exhausted, and I'm not sure that she was in the end of that fight, I think she certainly could have won a round from her. The problem is getting on top against Amanda Nunez, this incarnation of her is tough. This is kind of like back when Demetrius Johnson ruled over the flyweight division. He kept having to fight people that one day may be ready to fight him and one day may be ready to unseat him, Henry Cejudo being that example. But he kept fighting them at a point when they were simply not ready to compete for a UFC title when they should have been six or seven fights away from that. And that's kind of the situation we were in here. You made a good point. The reason that the division exists is because uh, Cyborg was in the UFC. But now the reason it exists is because Amanda Nunes gets to kind of stake claim to defending titles in two separate divisions. I'm hoping that's probably the end of it although it would be unfortunate to see girls like felicia spencer get cut from the ufc because the division no longer exists bottom line is that there are no other really solid notable fighters at 145 outside of cyborg and uh yeah amanda nunez needs to continue i think her trek at 135 maybe eventually we can see another fight between her and valentina shevchenko but in the meantime the queen stays the queen nikolai
0: Yeah, and I, well, you know, we've argued about this in other shows. Uh, I think that what she's done since UFC 200 and even a little bit before then is the, I'd argue that it's the greatest run in modern MMA against the greatest uh, competition available. Um, But we, we, you may want to say if that. Do you want to get into that now? Or do you no, I mean, uh,
1: I, I mean, yeah. Look, it is arguable. There are definitely some names, right? Misha Tate certainly not unbeatable. Ronda Rousey not at a good point in her career, but still Ronda Rousey, still a major name who had only lost one fight before that. Shevchenko is a beautiful win, even though it's a split decision and could have easily gone either way. Cyborg was a clean cut win. Sure. Holly Holm was a clean cut win. Yeah, I mean, look, she's she's had an impressive resume since UFC 200 to your point but I do have to say I would say since UFC 196 when she first beat Valentina Shevchenko actually back in 2016 but guys like Henry Cejudo the last three or four wins of his career are against guys that are largely untouchable people that have no real weakness can they get beat in a super close decision yeah can they possibly get caught yeah but these are people that are largely untouchable whereas you know Jermaine Durandamy Holly Holm Raquel Pennington, Ronda Rousey, Micha Tate, these girls don't fall into that category, but certainly Cyborg and Valentina Shevchenko do. Look, there's a great, fair argument to be made there. I wouldn't fight against this so much. I wouldn't be shocked if she is, in fact, the number one pound-for-pound fighter overall in the world.
0: What Cejudo did was amazing. It was just just a brief, uh, it was just a very brief run. What Jon Jones did was amazing, but when he cleaned out light heavyweight, almost all of those guys were long in the tooth. Um, it's so so much of it is context. I agree. Um, and I would argue that during Anderson Silva's run that comparative uh, to him that Nunez's division has been stronger than middleweight was at the time.
1: I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah. And, and I think John Jones only win that is against truly an elite elite opponent who's basically untouchable is Daniel Cormier. Outside yeah. Of Cormier. That, who is John Jones beat that hasn't been beat better by other fighters. So I'm there with you, largely. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Sancao, you know, arguably should have not been the co-main event. They should have been one rung below, Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen. But both fights ended up performing. Cody Garbrandt picked up a huge second round knockout, literally in the last second uh, of that second stanza. And he looked dominant overall. He was clearly faster. He was disciplined. He put it all together against the aging Rafael Sonsau and ended up with a, he kind of leaned to his right side, faked Rafael Sunso out, uh, goaded him in to throw a right hand and then countered with a huge wallop of a right hook from that orthodox stance. Really impressive performance by Cody, who's coming off of three knockout losses.
0: Yeah, the best hook since Mark Hunt um, destroyed Stefan Struve, I think. I think you're right and about that. And it it was great. what was what was great about this fight, aside from Cody's very uh, humble, classy post-fight interview, was we watched a man in his cage re- in the cage rediscover himself. Um a sunset was actually, despite the speed differential was outlanding him, um, which Is was really? really hard to believe um, for the through the first two rounds. and but Garbrand, uh, looked great, but I think he was having a little trouble finding his distance. Really, I think he was. I think, he, yeah, I think he was a little bit nervous. And yeah, the number uh, since I was uh, landing him two to one, and but you saw uh, as the second round progressed, Cody's the old Cody, the dominant Cruz Cody return, and you I saw you, you saw his body language shift. Um, you saw him get playful and not not reckless, but playful and. He, that shot was just perfectly executed. I thought the commentators did a great job of asking us to follow his eyes um, from when he when he crouched down. Um, his eyes never left that position um, of, of being like a, right, like a, focused on a sunsao. And what a what a friggin' shot he landed. And Rafael Sinsau is not a guy that uh, is, has ever been accused of having a weak chin.
1: Yeah, the one point that I'm going to disagree with you on is as far as the strikes landed, it does look like Asuncao outlanded Cody in the first round by one single shot. Asuncao landed... 9 of 23, Cody landed 8 of 20 in that first round. So Cody had a higher landing percentage, but Assuncel landed it by a single strike. And then in that second round, Cody uh, got landed 47% of his 23 strikes, whereas Assuncel was only able to get 27%, 8 shots of 29. Yeah, look, Assuncel was a generally busy fighter. He likes that inside leg kick, but there was no doubt that the heavier, cleaner shots were landed by Cody. To me, it looked like there was a big speed disparity and that was probably to account for most of how this fight went uh, good on Cody I, I would like to see him continue this strike to see if he can stay this disciplined because he certainly needs to and let's face it against the heavier hitters at 135 which might just be the best division in the sport right now against the heavier hitters it's still going to be a big risk factor bottom line is the guy's been knocked out three times in a row in the recent past this is his first win since back in 2016 when he took that belt from Dominick Cruz so Certainly, a lot still yet to prove. I think for Cody, but it's good to know that he's still in that top seven, top eight range. And unfortunately for a Sunsell who's been a perennial top tenner, it looks like he's kind of on the outs with that. I wouldn't be surprised if they match him up with somebody like O'Malley, who we're going to speak about very shortly. Aljamain Sterling, man, he went in there. This was supposed to be a really close match fight that could have gone either way with Corey Sanhagen, and I had trouble picking it. Um, It seems like Aljamain Sterling is back to his takedown game. I think he's if not the best, one of the best grapplers at 135. Corey Sanhagen had a bit of a scramble fest in that second round with the aforementioned uh, Rafael Sunsau. And Aljamain Sterling, all he needed was one takedown, took his back, choked him out, good night, a minute 28 into the first round. Aljamain Sterling is elite. He might just be the very best 135-pounder in the world, not named Henry Cejudo. So I look forward to seeing him matched up with the winner of the jose aldo peter yen matchup that they're uh, organizing for the title in the near future
0: yeah he looked he looked like a million bucks uh he's an elite athlete that's that's very clear and credit to him his comp his confidence seemed off the charts this is a guy who a couple of years ago was on the receiving end of, of a highlight reel uh, head kick defeat Yep. and a lot of guy, a lot of guys don't bounce don't bounce back from that. And that was against Morace, if I'm uh, Melvin Marais, if I'm if I recall, you're correct. Uh, and man, you never would have guessed it. He had the poise and the confidence of an undefeated fighter. And f- frankly, I can't, I can't see Jan or Aldo um, stopping him.
1: I agree with you. I would favor him over either of those guys. Although Aldo, really, really, really hard to take down and really hard to outstrike in the first couple of rounds. So if Aldo can land a couple bombs, maybe that chin that failed him against Marais will uh, haunt him again. But really looking forward to seeing him compete at this level. It's exciting to see him finally getting his dues. He's 19-3, and man. That's a really impressive record, especially considering two of those three losses are extremely close split decisions that could have gone either way. Another close one on paper that turned out to be extremely close in reality, Neil Magny got a decision over Anthony Rocco Martin. This is one where you know, I I had a lot of trepidation, a lot of trouble with the pick. You ended up confidently investing in Neil Magny, and MMA Decisions has the majority of journalists giving the edge to Martin. I thought Martin won those first two rounds, and then Magny clearly took over the third. What were your thoughts on that one?
0: Yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was really close. I mean, it actually made me wonder if um, judges have to put in their decisions um, as the rounds go or if they're able to tweak them.
1: It's round by round, I believe.
0: And are they allowed to go back and tweak no, or not? No,
1: absolutely not. The, the entire point of them giving up the, the round by round scorecard is that they can't go back and, and change it.
0: Okay. Then, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I Thought the first round was clear for Martin. I thought the second round was closer. I thought it was probably Martin, but I saw how it, how it could be Magny. Um, but I also thought that could have been colored by the commentary during True. the second half of that round. I could see and, that. And yeah. and you know sometimes takedowns count for a lot. Sometimes they don't. It depends. Certainly the third round was a runaway. I don't think it was quite a ten eight uh, because Martin was never uh, in serious trouble. But uh, I just I I was I don't know if it's because he was waiting for Martin to tire or what, but Magny should have uh, stepped on the gas. He clearly was able to step on the gas, and I thought he should have uh, picked it up more in the second round after essentially giving up the first.
1: Yeah, I, I think what allowed him to take over in that third round is the fact that Rocco Martin was actually tired. I don't think Magny's the faster guy in most matchups. He's not the stronger guy. He's not the most athletic guy. But that guy will fight at the same pace all five rounds and if you can't if you start to falter he will pick it up and he will take advantage of that and that's kind of what we saw in that third if this was a five rounder Magny no doubt would have taken it but in the three rounder I thought Martin had the edge but again a close matchup Sean O'Malley explosive clean beautiful right hand on Eddie Wineland who generally keeps his chin up Wineland has 14 losses on his record now Whereas Sean O'Malley has twelve wins, no losses, so Weiland actually has more losses than Sean O'Malley has fights, and the fight worked out about as uh, you would expect it to, given those factors.
0: My guess is that with O'Malley, although he's already, I think, chirping about money, that they're gonna that they're gonna go slow. Um, I could see him against. Uh, let me see, one thirty-five. I don't I don't think they're gonna put him in with Cody yet. I think that they see a lot of money in this kid and that he's going to have I think is he'll either get a co main event next or um, a main event against someone who he'll be favored over and that they're gonna build this they're gonna build this guy um, a little bit more closer. It's close to the Connor build. He needs a um, oh my god, who was my brain it fails me. Who is the little the little German Russian fighter? Dennis siever He needs a Shadow Melly needs a Dennis siever to beat up.
1: But that's the problem right at 135, Nick. I mean this division is incredibly stacked. Number fifteen, Nick, is Marlon Vera, who like you don't really see a whole lot of holes in that man's game, right? Song Yidong is ranked just above him. Really talented explosive guy. John Dotson at 13, Cody Stamen at twelve, Dominic Cruz at eleven. Rob Font and number 10, that's probably the guy with kind of the most holes.
0: They're going to get, I was going to so see them
1: matching him up with him.
0: I think they're going to match him up with Font. That would be my, that would be my guess.
1: Yeah. I, I think to in order to bring him into that top 10, outside of that, we've got the Rivera's, the Munozes. we've got obviously the Garbrands. I, I do think Rob Font is probably the matchup to make. I wouldn't be shocked if they matched them up with Cody Stamen, but I think that's risky.
0: I think that's risky too. I actually think that a safer, a safe matchup, even though he's higher in the rankings would be Jimmy Rivera. Um, even though Jimmy Rivera is very skilled, O'Malley would have a massive speed advantage.
1: Yeah, speed, uh, height, reach, power, and Jimmy Rivera has been tagged a few times in the last couple of fights. Yeah, uh, he's a little bit, a, a little bit of a step behind. I just think the size disparity alone on top of the speed and power, will definitely give O'Malley the edge. But I wouldn't be shocked if Rivera out-veterans him. So th- there is, I think, some risk to that matchup as well. Let's quickly breeze through the rest of this card. Alex Caceres gave Chase Hooper his prospect loss, dominated three rounds, avoided the takedown largely. Ian Heinich landed a big overhand right on Gerald Mearchart. Uh, I think the speed issue with Gerald is going to haunt him on top of the fact that, let's face it, Gerald Mirchart does not have a whole lot of heart. Once, you're, once he's hurt, he's done. Cody Stamen really, really dominant, clean, beautiful win over Brian Kelleher. Maki Pitoli, exciting back-and-forth fight that ended up uh, a second-round Petoli knockout. Alex Perez, spectacular leg kick TKO of Juicy a 4 That's the second leg kick finish that we see in two events. Really impressive stuff. Devin Clark took a workman decision over Alonzo Mennefield, uh, survived some of that storm, and landed some big shots himself. Herbert Burns continues uh, on his prospect trek. Taking out a veteran and Evan Dunham. Anything to uh, comment on any of those matchups, Nikolai?
0: Uh, the only thing I want to say is that I won't be surprised if the UFC sticks to the smaller cage, which I believe is five feet in diameter shorter. Yep. Um, so two and a half on each side, and boy, it's you know it's going to go to the benefit of some guys, the detriment of others. It's I agree. not necessarily pro striker or pro gra- grappler. It really. Depends on the, f- the fight style. It is pro-pressure fighter, though. I think that's fair.
1: And I, I would say a little bit of the edge to the grappler who can get you up against the cage quicker.
0: Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. But what it what it, it is resulting is our finishes and really thrilling fights.
1: Yeah, apparently Joe Silva was a big proponent of the smaller cage. If you asked him, he would keep every uh, fight night in that smaller cage for that reason.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's tricky because there's guys like... Um, Guys on their bikes that I've always loved, like Edgar, or karate fighters like Machida and Thompson, um, you know, they need that space. True. Well, it's interesting
1: because guys like Machida, uh, even like myself uh, in kind of an earlier iteration of my style, I, I would continually back up, right, against that fence. And then when I have nowhere else to go, I would counter hard and clean. And Machida's like that too, where like it's almost like having that fence behind you. Uh, same kind of goes a little bit for uh, Tyron Woodley is when that fence is behind you, you have no choice but to counter and it's usually effective when you do. If only you had done that before you got to the edge of that cage. So it's kind of a weird dynamic where in some cases, it's actually going to help the fighter that's backing up uh, because they're a little bit more dangerous with nowhere else to go. But yeah, I do think it's going to advantage the pressure fighters because those guys with the big footwork game are going to run out of space real soon. So I agree. We need to factor that in more into our picks as we were tweeting about throughout the event.
0: Um, So you want to take a quick break and then we'll, we'll zoom through our picks for my next victory, UFC Fight Night 172, I versus Cavillo.
1: I'm going to let that go. Let's take a break. Back on the MMA Geek Sea Level podcast, here to break down and breeze through UFC Fight Night I versus Calvillo, which is going down this Saturday night from Las Vegas, from the Apex Center, same small cage. Nikolai, you, my friend, have the first pick coming off of a win. I mean, it just seems like everything's coming together for you, buddy. Talk to me.
0: Uh, we'll see. There's some int- there's some interesting fights here. We've got two fighters. Uh, coming back to a card who fought just two weeks ago. I believe they're both late replacements I know Cypher's is a late replacement. I'm not sure if Borg is or not I he must be if he fought two weeks ago against somebody else. This must be he must have has been a late replacement
1: Well, I'm not seeing for Devish I'm not seeing like a different opponent that was set up for him before so there's a chance that they just put this I mean a lot of these events yeah. are literally getting put together uh, last minute
0: Yeah, this does feel a bit like this isn't to knock any of the fighters It feels a little bit like a flea market card of like, hey, who can we throw in and what makes sense? And there's certainly a bunch of fighters who are on the cusp of their release um, should they lose. Um, but it's a fight, you know, it's a fight fans card and there's lots to see here. And there's a pick that I'm sure is going to be your second pick that I want to pick, but I've got to go with the largest favorite on the card, um, uh, Julia Avila, um, who's fought, uh, much. I think, much better competition um to take on the un- to defeat the unranked uh, gina mazzani that'll be my first pick
1: yeah i'm there with you julia Vila's is a real prospect and Mazzani's not that great of a fighter right there with you buddy i am going to take as my first pick uh mirab devashvili to toss around ray borg it just seems like ray borg is a little bit small for the division and devashvili has an average of like eight or nine takedowns per fight it's insane
0: that was my second pick, which I really wanted to make, but I couldn't – I just felt like I couldn't
1: uh, – I would have made that my first pick regardless, to be honest with you.
0: You would have made Div- Div- Divishali Borg your first pick? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel just as confident, but I didn't want to give you a layup either. Fair enough. Uh, so it's was Avila going to be your second pick? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so and I, lo- I love watching Divashali, and I don't really see – a path. I mean, listen. Looking at what this guy's strengths are and what happened to Ray Borg in his last fight, it's very hard to see a path for Ray. That's Borg. exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So next, and stuff gets a, a little bit closer throughout. So, looking at everything right here, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick uh, a fighter I like quite a bit because I think finally he's getting a. Uh, I don't want to call this a showcase fight, but he's been thrown a, a tough hand, and I think he's he's improved maybe more than any other fighter over the last five years. That's that's not true. Justin Gagey, I think, is is the guy for that. But I'm going to pick Andre Feely over Charles uh, Jordan.
1: Same page. I think Philly's a talented guy. Charles Jordan is an athletic guy, but he's not necessarily ready for this iteration of Philly. Jordan did have a really nice performance uh, in his last fight against the Korean Superboy, though. My next pick is going to be I'll take Marvin Vittori to beat Carl Robertson. The fact that Carl Robertson pulled out last second after Vittori intimidated him in that stare down, and then Vittori, like, you know, kind of went after him verbally in the hotel lobby, and Vittori, and, uh, And Carl Robertson just kind of refused to face him and didn't even want to make eye contact. I just think on top of the fact that Vittori is a talented prospect, uh, he's in Robertson's head. Even though Robertson is a super, super fast, fairly technical striker, I think he has the tools to beat Vittori. But Vittori should take this one.
0: Um, Yeah, that was my next pick. So thanks for that. Um, And then quickly, everything gets very close. You have it. It's like it becomes kind of Pickham city for the most part. I agree boy i'm i'm going to pick uh i'm going to pick the main event i'm actually going to pick the underdog i've never been the biggest jessica i fan and we've got cynthia uh, cavillo who's a very talented fighter in a new weight class where she belongs and i think this is uh, one of those changing of the guard fights where uh, where cavillo um, i think I don't want to say dominates but i think she's i think she's going to be more active i think she's going to land more. jessica i sometimes she shows up and she just doesn't look like she wants to be there or she feels like she's lost not all the time but i she's just she's a fighter who i've never really um i feel never really kicks it into that the gear that's needed and i feel like cavilo almost entirely fights in the gear that's needed her big problems have been uh largely weight related
1: I actually disagree ever so slightly. I mean, this was literally my last pick because I had trouble picking between these two fighters. I'm, I'm just done underestimating Jessica. I, I have for so long now and, and, She's really on a solid, solid streak. I think she's 5 or 6 and 1 in this division with her only loss to, is to the pound-for-pound pound great Valentina Shevchenko. Her record overall at this weight, Nick, is 10 and 2. And Cynthia Calvijo's record at 125 is 1 and 0. Oh. So I do favor Jessica I ever so slightly. I think that maybe she'll give up a takedown or two in the first couple of rounds, but I think over time she'll start to take over. She did train for a championship fight just two bouts ago, and she's coming off of a win over another prospect who was supposed to beat. And uh, Viviana Rujo, so I, I like Jessica I in this one, but I do hear uh, I do hear where you're coming from. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be Jordan Griffin to beat Derek Minner. Jordan Griffin's just a scrappy, never give up. Submission guy who has actually pretty good stand up as well. His cross up across from that southpaw stance is very effective. Derek Minner is extremely dangerous for about a minute or two and then everything goes downhill. As a matter of fact, little known fact, these guys fought a couple of years ago and Jordan Griffin submitted him in the second round. I assume after Minner had a pretty good first round, that seems to be how all his fights go. So that's my next pick. Uh,
0: my next pick is no surprise for me. I'm going to pick the underdog Hannah Cyphers to beat uh, Maria. Uh, Agapova, you know, I watched some t- uh, Cypher's was looking really good against Mackenzie Dern until she wasn't. She rushed in, um, on a, on a BJJ black belt, um, and basically, she basically Brock Lesnar'd uh, herself, reference to his very first UFC fight against Frank Mir. I hear that. I think I watched some tape on Maria and, you know, she hasn't fought UFC level competition. Cyphers is ju- is still just on the cusp of being UFC competition. Uh, Maria fights almost like a, like a Tony Ferguson. Like she's super aggressive, um, punches from creative angles, rangy, doesn't necessarily seem like she has a ton of power, but she's got good volume. Um, but she needs, I think she needs distance and Cyphers is going to be in her, right up in her face, punching her in the face. And as we've seen in all of her fights, the kid's got some pop uh, for the weight class, and Maria's not, you know, isn't, um, she's not sort of stoutly built. I, I can see Cypher's landing a- and hurting her. I feel like some of the creative and aggressive striking that uh, Agapova's used at, um, in other divisions against lesser competition, that she's not gonna get the opportunity to style Uh, against hannah i'd be much and i think one of the reasons probably why hannah cyphers took this fight is um although i've seen agapova win a fight by runa choke, it was following like a liver kick and lots of strikes um i don't think i think she was i think she's probably eager to slug it out and i think there's a little chance of her um getting uh taken down and subbed in this match
1: I disagree with the pick. Um, I just feel like Hannah Cyphers is very fortunate to be two and three in the UFC. She should probably be one and four because that Pollyanna Viana decision went her way, and it probably shouldn't have. Uh, her other win in the UFC that's a clear cut victory is Jody Escabel, who might not actually have a win in the UFC at all. So I just feel like Hannah Cyphers is not a very good fighter. I know you have a little bit of a soft spot for her, but I, I like her opponent here. Agapova's extremely tall. She's 5'6", to Hannah Cyphers, 5'1". She's going to have a 6.5-inch reach advantage over her. She's a southpaw on top of that. She trains that American top team on top of that. So I do favor Agapova, but certainly Cyphers, you know, she only really, Cyphers only loses to, like, really, really solid... 115 pound fighters I also don't like the fact that this is one weight division up for her so I disagree I'm glad you made the pick this early quickly Nick who do you favor between Jordan Griffin and Derek Minner
0: oh I favor Jordan Griffin
1: cool I'm gonna take Anthony Ivey to beat Christian Aguilera I didn't realize there was a male version of Christine Aguilera and I'm very excited about it. I wonder if he has the pipes. Uh, Anthony Ivey is really impressive. I watched a little bit of tape on him, trains with Brazilian top team, which I'm not super familiar with in Texas, but uh, really solid stand-up, good takedowns, good ground game. Like he just seems well put together and he seems to be more than just a jack of all trades. He's like a step above just being pretty good at those things. So I like him over Christian Aguilera, who, while he's like a strong, powerful, like like just beefed up guy. He doesn't necessarily have the best chin, and Ivy hits really hard. And on top of that, I think if Ivy can get on top, he can he can do some things. Aguilera doesn't really offer a whole lot from that position. Both guys making their UFC debuts. Who do you favor in that one, So buddy? let
0: me, uh Off topic for a second, so let me ask you. How old is your daughter now? She is nine months, Nikolai. All right. So it's taken you nine months to land your first truly embarrassing dad joke. Oh, it's my friend.
1: You can ask my wife about my daily dad jokes, Nikolai. It's my expertise.
0: That was – that was – that was terrible. It's all I've got. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're also you're also tall. You've got range. That is um, true. Um so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Anthony Ivey as well.
1: Cool. Next pick, buddy.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Um Oof. No, <laughs> neither one of us want this Benoit nom fight. No, um, I don't think so. <laughs> such a such a weird one. Um I'm gonna go with uh, Kevin Aguilar over Charles Rosa. Didn't Rosa just get tied into a pretzel like really recently?
1: Uh, he actually made it to decision, but that was on the ground.
0: Aguilar is not a ground guy at all. Yeah, no, I know. I just was just I was making sure it was the, it was the same. He, was he's the another same
1: guy. guy that's coming off of a recent loss, actually. Yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Aguilar here. No other. Uh, no other analysis from me on that one.
1: That's fair. Yeah, I'm there with you as far as the pick goes, at least. My next one, I'm going to take. I'm going to take Jordan Espinosa to beat Mark De La Rosa. I see it as largely a pick I'm not sure that Jordan Espinosa has proven yet, and Jordan has shown a weakness on the ground where uh, Mark De La Rosa is at his strongest, but I just think Jordan is probably going to be, uh, not only is he going to have the size advantage, but he's probably going to be more athletic in this matchup, so I like him to largely keep it on the feet and outwork Mark De La Rosa, who doesn't really have a whole lot of heart. Like He doesn't give up enough to just get finished, but he stops trying at some point.
0: And this is a tiebreaker or is this just the last pick?
1: I believe this is the tiebreaker Nikolai.
0: Uh, this is a tough one to pick. so you got Tyson Am a guy who had success elsewhere but who's a little long in the tooth and is um, not had the uh, the speed the volume the he just hasn't been isn't uh, performed at the UFC level and has not won a fight yet against Ryan Benoit a guy who's had some success he's a little bit weird he's fi- he fights after the bell he's done some dirty stuff. He's just one of those guys that looks, you know, he looks like Tom Holland. He looks like a normal, like, little, you know, like, harmless kid at school. And then he gets into the cage, and a switch hits, and he becomes this sociopath. <laughs> um, who knows? Maybe he's a sociopath outside, too, like Josh Grisby. Um, but uh, this is a really tough one. It's like, does Tyson M finally get a UFC victory? Um, it's really, really close. Absolutely a pick em fight. I'm... I'm going to go with Ryan just because he's figured out a way to win in the UFC before, and we have not seen that from Nam.
1: Yeah, I I agree about the Ryan pick. I favor him because the big, big speed advantage he's going to have. He looked good early in his last fight, even though he ended up losing the decision. And I just think Tyson Nam being the slower, bigger man in this matchup, uh, Benoit should have a slight edge, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this could this could go either way. This is the reason it's the tiebreaker pick, the very last pick on our list, Nikolai? That'll do it for our picks. I'm quickly gonna go through them. Your first pick was uh, Julia Vila. Your second one was Andre Philly. Your third pick was Jessica I. Fourth, you had Hannah Ciphers and fifth you had kevin aguilar and then your tiebreaker big pick if we tie on every one of the other picks this comes into uh kind of into the fray and, and decides which one of us wins you picked ryan benoit um my first pick was mirab devashvili second marvin vittori third i took jordan griffin fourth anthony Ivey. fifth jordan Espinoza. uh that should do it nick do you have any betting suggestions for
0: our listeners on this one i throw 10 bucks on hannah just for uh Kicks and it's he's minus four hundred, but I think I just think that Daval gonna win. So you can do that thing that the guy just did, where he bet a million bucks on Nunez to win one hundred and sixty grand. Um, I also think that Cavió is a, is a good bet for a couple of bucks.
1: Yeah, I hear that. Um, I am going to recommend $50 on Devashvili, specifically by decision as a prop bet at minus 185. That brings those odds a lot closer, and I think the odds of him finishing Borg are slim. I'm going to recommend just $10 on Ray Borg as kind of a hedge by decision at plus 440. So worst case, if you lose that 50 bucks on Devashvili, you have a pretty good chance of winning 44 bucks on Borg, which means you only have a $6 loss. I'm going to recommend a bet on Aguilar, At minus 160, I think that's a pretty good deal, so I'd recommend $35 on that one. Uh, Griffin at minus 165, I'd recommend $35 on that one. It's not gonna be a huge profit. Uh, Ivy at minus 195, I would put... 60 bucks on that one and agapova at minus 150 i think she's worth 35 dollars so that'll do it for the mma geeks betting guide nick we're going to take a break come back and dive into this revenue split this ufc fighter salary conversation some of the strong arm tactics some of the contractual habits of the ufc the way in which they're able to step on fighters and keep them down for about as long as they want let's take a break Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, we want to dive into this subject of the UFC fighter revenue split. And, you know, obviously we've had recently several fighters come out and, and speak vehemently against the UFC's practices and negotiations with the UFC. Henry Cejudo claims he's retired, which I don't buy for a second, and it seems like it's largely because he is not getting paid what he thinks he deserves. John Jones is kind of protesting against the UFC and taking the stance that, like, when the UFC's ready to pay something serious, I am ready to fight. Until then, you can have somebody else compete for my title. Jorge Masvidal is willing to literally publicly spat with Dana White and the UFC in order to demand some serious money in this matchup, Conor McGregor talks about you know retiring for the third time, Nikolai three fucking times in the last year and a half. Like that is literally record breaking. And by the way, that asshole had to take all the attention from Amanda Nunes and UFC 250 as he tweeted his quote unquote retirement right as the event ended. Sean O'Malley talked about his lack of pay and how he'd like to be respected a little bit more. So you know I looked into the revenue splits and the different sports, Nick, and. In the NFL, the players get 48.5% of the revenue. In the NBA, they get between 49 and 51%, so let's say 50%. In the MLB, it's between 48.5% and 52%, so about 50%, right? The NHL players get 50% of the revenue. In the UFC, Nick, every bit of research I was able to do, the kindest number I was able to find is 18% that the fighters get that much of a split, that small of a split, and and the the worst number i saw is 10%. We have the situation where in every other sport nick, players, fighters get half. And in the UFC, fighters get between 10 and 20%. It's no wonder and and i'm surprised it's taken this long for this sort of thing to happen and i hope these guys actually stick to their guns and get what they feel they deserve.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things going on here and i was reading a quote from, you know, from Gray Maynard um, about how with his, his second Frankie Edgar fight, his camp cost 20K and he made 26K. And he got a, he got a 100K bonus, um, but he described that bonus as hush money because he would have been broke without it, fighting in a, a main event fight following a, you know, following a fight of the year. Um, it's, you know, the, without diving in, into the math too much, I look at the pressure that the UFC exerts and it reminds me a bunch of how the uh, WWE is run <clears throat> where Vitsic Man is famous for saying, all I can give you is an opportunity and they're freelancers and they get paid what they get paid and they may get paid more if there's fear of competition, but the individual is never allowed to get bigger than the brand because if they do, that puts the brand you know, at risk and it's, it's the question is at risk of what? Well, look at, look at boxing. Um, bo- the popularity of boxing globally, and several, certainly in America and also globally, has ebbed and flowed based on stars because there is no organized brand. There is no brand for boxing. There's alphabet soup. There's the different governing bodies, yada, yada. But they, the power is with the individual promotional companies um, which are generally not not brand names. I mean, fight fans know Golden Boy and um, you know Don King, and are familiar with some of the other promoters. But it's it's fighter it's fighter driven. And if you take the big the big personalities out of there, um, you're left with an extremely niche sport, like very very niche. And the, I think what the UFC does by putting their thumb on you know on on these fighters is that they can they control how big they're able to get how much power they can they can wield and all of the all the brand can, no one no one can get bigger than the UFC not even close and their track record for proving that is really good look at Ronda look at Chuck those people Uh, were huge they were stars that were that were synonymous with the organization or close to and they went away with hardly an ill effect they're always grooming other people and i believe that it is hard dana white thinks that his promotional skill can sell a fight between anyone the greatness of Jorge Masvidal is not as valuable to the organization as Dana White's ability to create and promote a fight. And that's why I think they believe that they've got the chips.
1: There are a lot of variables to it. I think the bottom line is purely greed. When you are the one who controls who gets paid what, why would you not give yourself Most of it and give the fighters that are literally risking their lives, literally taking damage to their brains, taking years off of their life working for you as quote unquote independent contractors, which aren't even necessarily covered by health insurance outside of competition. It seems to me like it's more greed than anything else. Now, I do think that's why the UFC likes to keep the fighters very lowly paid because they will have less of these conversations like they're now having with the likes of Masvidal, John Jones, and Henry Cejudo. But I looked at not only the revenue split in each sport, Nick, I also looked at the minimum salaries in each sport. And in the NFL, Nick, the minimum salary is $480,000 a year. That's the minimum salary, right? The highest, $61 million, Nick, per year in the NHL minimum salary 700 grand a year Nick in the MLB lowest salary minimum salary is 563 thousand dollars a year in the NBA Nick it's 900 grand for the first year and then 1.5 million and up after that the average household income in the. US is around 45k per year Nick and over a third of UFC fighters
0: make less than that and with incredible expenses
1: yeah with big expenses with having to have other jobs in order to supplement their training like this is not you can't compare this sport to the others if the fighters are making pennies to the dollar let's face it Jon Jones has been a tough fighter for the longest time and he makes 5 million a fight average Deontay Wilder who just came into the fray a couple years ago in boxing made 30 million dollars for his last fight his opponent Tyson Fury made 50 million dollars last year
0: well, the mo- yeah, and there's there are differences in the business model. Boxing is is um, still doing pay per view to some extent, although a lot of them have switched over to DAZN. It's and the other thing to consider, and one of the I think one of the things that triggered all this noise is that Endeavor, the company that owns the UFC, paid out three hundred million dollars in dividends, uh, including I think half a million dollars to you know Mark Wahlberg, um, and. That's, you know, that's the company pay, like paying out money to investors, lots and lots and lots of money while you've got um, these guys like scrapping together, um, hustling, trying to get the very small, um, you know, vitamin and equipment companies to do influencer gigs, which takes away from their training. You know, the, the I, I don't have any details on this, but I suspect that it's still that the amount of... Impact that the Reebok deal had negatively on fighters' abilities to make a living without doing a ton of work. Um, really, you know, really hurt them. One of the jo- if they were paying a manager, the manager's job, I believe, would be to was at the time would be to hustle and fill up those banners and fill up those trunks and see what kind of with logos, yeah, um, mo- yeah, yeah, with what kind of, of partnerships with with limited uh, responsibility. For the fighter, um, could they get to help that fighter earn a living and compensate for the fact that, that the UFC pay for 70% of the roster is, you know, not, uh, not on par with what, uh, you know, Americans make? Um, so they get so, I think they still get so much less with the Reebok deal, more if they're a veteran, but it's still not great. And I know they that deal is probably going, I think that deal ends soon. I, I think what will happen is they'll announce a deal with somebody else, but it's well, fighters will still get the UFC, almost yeah, the tiniest
1: a, part of that revenue split.
0: It's a, it's, it's a pat. They exert, the UFC exerts a pattern of control. They create PR around the things that they do for the fighters, like whatever health plan they came up with a couple of years ago or working with them at the performance Institute. Um, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, you get, you do get to see the difference it makes for, for some fighters. Like obviously I follow Roxy Mataferi's career very closely. And since she came back off of tough um, and has been on these cards, she seems to be, you know, living more comfortably. But I think that means stuff like, you know, got an, got like an okay car, like can't, doesn't have to work as much at other jobs. Like it's not, you know, that's, that's a, that's a fighter who's number five in the world in their, in their weight class. Um, and li- seems to live a Spartan, aesthetic warrior lifestyle, and, in a place where the cost of living is not very high, and is doing okay. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, it's not garage full of cars.
1: Yeah, just kind of getting by,
0: and feels feels lucky for that. I, I think she, I, I get, certainly get the impression that she feels lucky for that. But you've got these other guys who are, and some of them they have, you know, they have the amazing car. Masvidal has an amazing car. Connor's got all these amazing cars. Like, I get that they want. The ridiculous money, but I don't feel like it's because they want to be richer. I think it's because they feel taken advantage of, and I can understand that. Listen,
1: it's both. They deserve to get a bigger piece of the pie that they're bringing in. Dana White can sell all he wants this card that's coming up this weekend, but guess what? It's not going to get nearly the views that a Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, or John Jones fight would, right? So they bring something to the table, and let's face it. As much as Dana White worked hard to promote Conor McGregor, and obviously Conor McGregor worked hard to promote himself, he didn't work hard to promote Jorge Masvidal and to make him the the well-known fighter that he is. Jorge did that over the course of 15 years, over figuring it out in the last couple of years how to get that done, and he pulled it off on his own with no help from the UFC outside of putting him in, in some matchups, right, that on paper looked difficult for him, let's face it. So yeah, and that's another way that the UFC likes to keep fighters under their thumbs with this bonus structure. You are extremely appreciative for making that extra fifty grand for for getting that knockout. But really, you got to take a lot more risk in order to earn a bonus, right? And outside of that bonus, yes,
0: it's incentive. They, they they yeah, it's like randian. It's about incentive and opportunity. And anytime someone has mentioned union, they've gotten really pissed off yep. or released and people. they and they pressure but people if,
1: to 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 stop with that line of talk that's like that's the thing is that if the ufc doesn't like you if you're not subservient to them if you're not a dana white sycophant you are probably not going to get a bonus no matter how much you deserve it that's part of how that works
0: it yeah it, it, it's 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 kind of gangsterism which i'm not su- surprised by um but, uh, but the other thing though like i don't want to point out jones and McGregor and and Cejudo to be saints if they really cared and the fact of the matter is that who they should care more about are their training partners and their very competitive um, teammates who are, have not had the, the either the promotional luck or the right matchups or are not quite at the skill level but are still obviously elite mixed martial artists and if those five or six or seven or ten men and women who really do as a collective could um, impact, you know, the UFC can lose, it can lose a Chuck, it can lose a Ronda. Can it lose a John Jones, a Cejudo, a Connor, a Masvidal, um, you know, a, a Nunez, a Shevchenko, um, all simultaneously. If those fighters unite and say like, listen, we need reform. Uh, we need a union to take care of everyone. Make sure people have the living wage. Make sure people have access uh, to the same level of, um, healthcare and potentially training to to even the playing field a little bit more. Um like that then something could happen. But unless and I believe that G, this is something that I think GSP was speaking up about and and was happy to lead. But that I think they blew that shit up. All they quick. had
1: to do was speak to GSP and make a deal with him. And then he shut his fucking mouth up. And that's what's going to happen here. If these smart fighters are smart, they're going to start talking about either an association or a union. Technically, as an independent contractor, you're not uh, eligible to have a union, but an association could do the trick. They just have to start talking about that. They have to get on the phone with each other, start making that a public thing, and suddenly Dana White's going to give them each a call and give them a hell of a lot more than he was willing to give them before that was brought up. See, that's one of the key distinctions between an employee and an independent contractor, is that an independent contractor can provide services for many entities, for various entities, but the UFC's contract structure prevents that.
0: It's restrictive, right?
1: Right. You're exclusive to them. And on top of that, the UFC likes to put you in long-term contracts, right? So what Jorge Masvidal was saying this week is that he signed a new contract every time for his last couple of fights since he's becoming a bigger and bigger star. And the way it works is the UFC refuses to have him sign a three or four fight contract. It's got to be eight fights or nothing. And that way, they have you by the balls. If your career is just jumping off, they don't have to renegotiate with you. You can either fight or you can retire, and that's kind of the stance that Dana White takes with each of these guys. He starts saying some bullshit like, oh, well, uh, he doesn't need to fight. He can retire with all the money he's made. No, he can't. That's fucking bullshit. He can retire if he's willing to spend 35, 40 grand a year maybe for the rest of his life, but there's no circumstance in which he can retire. Dana White, you can retire, and you'd be fine for the rest of your life. The fascinating thing about it is that their contract structure is so one-sided, Nick. There are quotes from several fighters, and and Joe Silva was known as kind of the enforcer when he was around when it comes to this stuff. Um, the way they do it is, Nick, that if you compete for the UFC this weekend, and you get injured in the fight, and the commission decides that you cannot compete for two months, the UFC then extends your contract by two months, which means that... Which means that every moment that you are not able to take a fight, any moment that you are injured, whether it be after a fight or otherwise, they have the right to extend your contract. And they don't just extend it by the amount of time that you're injured. They extend it by the amount of time that they choose not to offer you a fight. So Mark Bocek uh, was sent a retirement letter since he decided to retire. You know, he was asking for a complete release. And since he's coming off of a win, they didn't want to give it to him. So this is a text message that Joe Silva wrote. Bocek was sent a retirement letter, but now he's asking for a complete release. He's coming off a win, so I would not give it to him. He could end up fighting for Bella Force. Bocek then asked Lorenzo Fertita, and this is another text that was actually released, and, and we could see he, he sends a text to Lorenzo Fertita saying, I'm retired and have nothing to gain by being under UFC contract for life. Please release me permanently. And Lorenzo Fertitta replies via text message, and he goes, that's not really how it works, Mark. Every fighter from Chuck Liddell, Mark Coleman, et cetera, that retired in the middle of their contracts are still under contract. You can do anything to make money. You just can't fight anywhere else. Nick, that's fucking horrible. Like, they literally lock you in and you have no choice but to stay indentured to them when it comes to MMA for the rest of your career or, or, or any semblance of a career whether you choose to have it or not
0: aside from a union the only other solution and this isn't this doesn't cure the ills but it could increase the standard of living because we've seen this with pro wrestling in the last 18 months is competition um, I mean right now Bellator even though I think their contracts are pretty good uh, comparatively um, fueled by their their TV deals but I don't um, there isn't real there isn't real competition. There no. isn't another major player with super deep pockets who could go where Dana has to feel like he needs to lock people up in a, uh, you know, because they've got other better offers.
1: They lock people up for eight fights.
0: I mean lock people up in a good way. I mean if someone's up for – if someone's contract is up.
1: Oh, I see. I see. To, to make a good offer.
0: Yeah. Who else are they going to negotiate with? There's
1: Part of the problem is that they don't let your contract go up. What they do is like if you have two fights left, they used to let your contract go up, right? And then they realized we lost some pretty big talent and we're allowing Bellator to to take a piece of the market share. So now what they're doing is they, they offer you a fight when you have two fights left. They offer you a renegotiation. And if you don't want to sign that renegotiation and if you don't want that slightly higher pay that that new contract offers, then they might not offer you a fight for a couple of years. And it's just that simple. And then you don't make a living for those two years. Right. My point about the the way that they extend people's contracts every time they're injured, there's a a text message from Matt Wyman, where I think he sent it to one of the UFC employees. And he says, I'm a little confused about my extension. Can you explain it in simpler terms to me? I was only injured two to three months, and the letter states an eight-month extension long responded with joe silva gave me the time frame i believe it's based on upon when you last fought and when you will fight your last fought on october 1st 2011 you are now scheduled to fight september 29 2012 wyman then asks so all the months i'm training and waiting patiently are not counted like this is the way that the ufc bullies these people and the fighters have damn near no rights they give you the ever so slight increase and if you don't like that then you could fight for your old uh contract rate We just won't offer you a fight for a couple of years. Um, That's why I think we need the Muhammad Ali Act to be extended to cover MMA. I'm not saying it would fix all the issues, but it would certainly address some financial disclosure is important, which the Ali Act would enforce. Promoter oversight is important, which right now it's basically a wild west of, of promotion in MMA in general. And the UFC has done a great job of monopolizing the majority of the sport. So I really do hope that these guys, I doubt they will, but I genuinely hope that the Jon Jones, the Henry Cejudos, the Jorge Masvidal, the Conor McGregors, I hope that they take a serious fucking stand, demand a shitload of money, and fight it through. And I think that's the only shot that we have of there being legitimate change. I think Conor McGregor's definitely affected change positively in that way in the sport by just having the audacity to demand. And I hope that continues to go in this direction.
0: So let me me just close by asking you a, a question. With this, with the way that fighters are treated, combined with the fact that the sport as a whole, and sometimes the UFC fighters specifically... Um, you know, play footsie with some dangerous parts of the world. Cheshire and warlords. There's a lot of uh, you know MMA from the Caucasus coverage by uh, Kareem Zidane, which is always very interesting on Bloody Elbow. Great. How do you how do you feel about your uh, that you participate as a fan? I guess less in the sport and more with the brand, and also you know throw a good a good number of hard-earned shekels in addition to your time um into it
1: well yeah that and that's been the tricky thing for me there was a time when i did buy pay-per-views and i haven't bought a pay-per-view in a long long time and this is the chief reason obviously it's nice to not have to pay that 60 or 80 bucks or what have you but the fact that the fighters get such a minute portion of that money i feel very good about pirating from the ufc And I'm saying it proudly and loudly, and I'm lucky that we only have dozens and dozens of fans to actually hear this conversation. Hopefully none of them are Dana White. But seriously speaking, like, that's why I support people pirating the goddamn UFC. And if you guys need a link, you tweet at me, and I will send you a fucking link to that pay-per-view. And then buy some fighters t-shirts. Crowdfund a fighter. Uh, Give the fighter support, not the UFC. I'd rather spend that 60 bucks on three t-shirts from, from my favorite fighters on an event man. And again, this is why I'd taken a stand a while ago to not spend a single penny on the UFC. I love the sport, so I'm getting a lot out of watching these events. I'm getting a lot out of watching these fighters. And I know that Dana and the Fertitas put all this together and they, they built up the sport. I get that. But that does not mean that the people that are risking their lives day in and out don't deserve a major piece of the pie.
0: I'm sure you think about that every time you log into my Fight Pass account.
1: You <laughs> damn motherfucking right. Although I do pay for ESPN Plus, to be fair.
0: Cool. I think that's everything. Uh, everything we got for this week, my friend. Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's see how it sh- how it shakes out on Saturday night.
1: Nikolai, I look forward to getting back on the winning track, back to where I belong. You
0: may. I think you might. I think you might. You might have me this week. We'll see. This could easily go either way, Nick, and
1: and that's really the only chance you have. Just that errant decision going your way and and maybe a disqualification going your way. Let's face it, uh, we know who the better pick is.